0: Uh, To recalibrate uh, us, not that we're doing anything wrong, but because we're humans, just like a vehicle, they need to be recalibrated or tuned up from time to time uh, so we understand why we do what we do and why we're not changing with the culture and the times. And you are living in the days where you're going to begin to see a great separation It's right before the coming of Christ. You'll see Satan's church forming. It will be formed upon emotions. And I've preached on that uh, time and time again. Not that emotions are wrong. I'm saying that's what they use to judge right and wrong. And they throw the Bible out. And we call that the gathering of the tares. But we still have the wheat to deal with. And God's church is still here called the body of Christ and when culture changes we're not to change with the culture. We don't change our message and we need to be careful and I don't like to change the methods. It's the same methods that worked uh, in the early church. They went throughout the whole world uh, and we're to bring men to Christ Uh, and whatever their culture is uh, it needs to be brought into alignment. To the Word of God. And there's a lot of compromise that has went on. People trying to change methods and they do that to try to gain or gather bigger crowds uh, and so on and so forth. But I want to stick with the book and I'm not saying that uh, uh, we can't use uh, you know, music and, and I'm not trying to be primitive Baptist or something like that. I'm talking about balance and I'm talking about sticking with the book uh, that we have before us. Acts chapter 5 and last week we talked about and preached on Ananias and Sapphira uh, about uh, not giving place to the devil. Not giving place to the devil. And so today's theme, we're going to move on and start reading there in verse 11. And Lord willing, read down through this chapter until the Lord tells me to stop. We might go to the end because I'll be preaching from the rest of this chapter. And what I want you to think about and what I'm going to preach on today is when God moves, Satan moves. Maybe that'll be eye-opening for some people, uh, but you need to understand this. When God moves, the devil moves. Uh, I'll give you some scripture on that when we get into uh, the message uh, But never forget that. When God goes to do something and God begins to work, the devil will oppose this thing. And this church is growing by leaps and bounds. The Holy Spirit of God has got into it. And apparently it wasn't a Baptist church because all of the members was on the same page. (laughs) It was just a little pun, you know. Uh, uh, Everybody was of the same mind and everybody was working toward the same goal. I don't know what it was, (laughs) but it was sure a Bible believing local new testament church that was full of god <laughs> and so uh, uh, i would like to think that was baptist but it's it's not you're not going to find that uh there it's not in the text it's not in the context uh, uh and we'll talk about that at some other time i i believe that the baptists are not the only people going to heaven but if you want to go first class you're going to go Baptist. (laughs) There are other people that are in different denominations that are born again and they love God. We just not see eye to eye on some of the smaller stuff. But if you want to go first class, go Baptist. And so uh, uh, we'll leave that as that. And, and so we'll get into this. Let me get to reading uh, the Scripture this morning. He says in verse 11, "...coming on the heels of the death of Ananias and Sapphira, and great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things." Uh, yep, uh, the Bible says, "...rebuke them before all that others may fear." And God comes in, and just for lying to the Holy Ghost of God, God strikes them dead. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord. He keeps emphasizing this, and I believe we must say a little something about it. It is important that we have unity in our fellowship. I really do. He says in Solomon's porch, And in, of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Talking about the apostles... Nobody else was jumping up claiming to be an apostle. No, there was 12. There's no apostles today. Okay, we'll preach on that some other time. But these apostles, nobody else was standing up the apostles. And these men had the, the power that God had given them. And so, verse 14, "...and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women." So we see this thing grow again uh, and, and I'll comment on that as soon as I'm done reading the Scriptures. Insomuch so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him. So we see in the moving of God, now we're transitioning and the, the scene is changed to what the devil is going to do and he begins to work his work and it comes with the religious crowd and they were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees and were filled with indignation. Chapter 4 said they were filled with they were grieved. And they threatened them, and now this has grown to indignation, and they're going to lay hands on them. Verse 18, And laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together. And all the synod of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them, whereunto this would grow. And then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you? That ye should not teach in his name, or in this name. And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us this morning. As we look here at the Scriptures and we have this thought that when you move and when you uh, uh, do things, the devil's going to oppose it. And help us to be on guard against that. Lord, help us not to be discouraged by it. Now, if there be any in here that's lost, that doesn't know Jesus, they're not a follower of the way, but uh, uh, they're, they're in sin, not been born again, Lord, help the Holy Spirit to convict them this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So we see God moving in a mighty way in this early church. The church is growing. We see them the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people added to the 120 that was on the roll. Then we see 4,000 added in chapter 4. And here in this chapter he says multitudes were added. You say, well, preacher, what do you, what do, you do with that? Because we had, uh, what did we have? 8,000 people. And so I run some numbers. I looked up two words, multitude and multitudes. And the New Testament, because the feeding of the 5,000 come to my mind and the feeding of the 7,000 come to my mind. And he was using those words multitude and multitudes and things of that nature. And so I'm thinking that a multitude in the Bible means between five to 15,000 people. Now, I didn't read that in a commentary. That's just Todd Gabbard theology. You can take that or leave that. But he said this thing's growing. There was 8,000, and now multitudes are added because in chapter 6, he says it multiplies again. And so I'm going to be conservative and add 5,000 to this already 8,000, bringing the total to 13,000 people that is congregating in Solomon's porch. This is the church here in Jerusalem. This thing is growing leaps and bounds. It was growing so fast, they, they, they didn't even have a church building. Could you imagine that? And so they were having church in the open air, but here in Solomon's porch. It was quite a a big arena here, the temple, because this is the one that Herod had built and quite a bit bigger than the original. And So they were congregating there. And we see God moving, but then we begin to see Satan begin to move. And we see there that when God gets in it, Satan gets in it. You need to have that in your mind. When God gets in it, Satan's going to get in it. We've seen that Satan, because Ananias had a nail in his heart that he allowed Satan to work from. Remember that? Because Peter says, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie? To the Holy Ghost. And so Satan filling his heart. Satan is getting in it to oppose the work of God. And Satan we see is not going to stop. Satan is going to attack from within and from without. That's why he says be sober and be vigilant Because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I know maybe in some of our minds, we kind of think of, well, in my mind, it's like two football teams. And they come together and they're going to play by a certain set of rules. You've got the wrong picture in your mind. Okay? Uh, This is two armies. And, and you've heard this, there's no rules in love or war. And the devil doesn't play by any rules. The devil doesn't fight fair. The devil will use any means possible to oppose the work of God. We see this. And I need you to remember this. To be anti-Christ is to be anti christian the Sanhedrin, and remember them. They're in power here. This was the chief priest, and this sect, uh, which was different from the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in spirit, and they did not believe in angels. And so what is going on here in this early church is totally opposed and in the face of their ideology. Now, this... Sadducees were handling the Old Testament scriptures but they were twisting it and they were taking things out of the context just like the devil does and Jesus had said that this group was of their father the devil he had identified them as enemies of the cross they were enemies of the Messiah and so they were anti-Christ and they had threatened the apostles remember Peter and John and says do not preach in the name of Jesus. And we talked about that a couple weeks back, that in the world today, you can get away with about anything. You can pray in the name of Buddha. You can pray in the name of some devil. But if you get up and begin to pray in the name of Jesus, people get mad. All in this attitude of tolerance. And so what they're saying is, we'll tolerate anything... But Jesus. And that's what's going on here. They're saying, we don't care that you teach. They weren't upset that Peter and John the Apostles were teaching. That was part of their way uh, in the world at that time. But they did not want them to preach and to do these miracles in the name of Jesus. So they were anti Christ. And because they were anti Christ, they are anti Christian. You remember that. And to be anti-Christian is to be anti-Christ. You can't tell me you love Jesus and hate church. Amen. You can't because this Bible is clear to tell us that the church, and I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about born-again believers that have been placed into the body of Christ. I don't care who you are, where you're at, where you live, what your background is. If you've asked Jesus to save you and you receive Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. And this Bible's commanded us to love one another. And so we got a group of people in here in our text, this group of Sanhedrin, uh, this, this Sadducees and this Pharisees, they're totally against the apostles who are Christians. Because by the time we get to Acts 11, we learn that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And that's the first time the word Christian shows up in your Bible. And the Bible defines Christian totally different... Than the world does today. Christian means to be Christ-like. Christian means to be followers of the way. And you'll find that phrase throughout the book of Acts. The way. And that's how they were identified by the antagonist of the church. And Christ is, oh, they're followers of the way. Look at them. They're Christians. They're followers of Jesus. And so... You can't hate the church and tell me you love Jesus because the church is the body of Christ. And I get that quite a bit. People tell me, oh, I'm saved and I love Jesus, but I won't ever go to church again. Uh, I hate church and I hate churches and they're all full of a bunch of hypocrites. And I say, amen, they are. They're full of a bunch of sinners saved by grace, and yeah, there are some terrors down there, and yeah, there are some devils down there, <laughs> but you're filling your gas tank up with hypocrites, and you're going grocery shopping with the hypocrites, and you go to Dollywood with the hypocrites, and and, and you go to other restaurants with the hypocrites, and there's not a problem until it comes to going to church. And It's kind of like complaining about when you go to the doctor or the hospital, there's a bunch of sick people up there. Yeah, amen, that's where they're supposed to be. Just like there's supposed to be a bunch of hypocrites and sinners in the church house. That's where they're supposed to be. You need Jesus. You need a little something from the Word of God. And you need the Holy Spirit of God to work down in your heart. But don't sit there and tell me that you love Jesus but hate church. Because... To be anti-church is to be anti-Christ. So we must get that. That there's this struggle. There's this battle against God and Satan. And against Satan's children and against God's children. And the Lord says that they're terrors and they come in. And they look like wheat. And he said they come in and they begin to tear things up. Now see, and if the devil can't get it from the inside... He's going to get it from the outside, and that's what he's doing. And So we see the moving of God. The Bible is clear that Peter is full of the Holy Ghost of God. If you was to see that in chapter 4, he's full of the Holy Ghost. And I understand Baptists, they get, they get scared and start shaking when you say, Holy Ghost. But that's a Bible word. And they always say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God. They said the Holy Ghost. They're one and the same. And I'm not afraid of that word, Holy Ghost. We need a little bit of the Holy Ghost on our lives and in our lives. People are afraid of it. Peter, full of the Holy Ghost of God. But I want to draw something to your attention with this first point called the moving of God is that Peter's shadow had an influence for God. Did you see that there in verse 15? I tried to emphasize it. I probably failed in that endeavor. Verse 15, "...insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk." and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, everyone. You say, what are you trying to say, preacher? What I'm saying is that Peter was so full of the Holy Ghost of God that his shadow had influence. There was healing going on through the shadow. You say, well, he didn't say that. (laughs) Well, I'm judging in light of the context. We're dealing with over 13,000 people here at this time. And I got news for you. As a one man or 12 apostles, because he says the apostles, he's plural there, you couldn't in one day personally heal every one of 13,000 people. That'd be exhausting and then preach and lead the singing and do everything else that you're supposed to do also. And so what was going on, because this was a great outpouring of God, is it looks to me, now you can take this or leave this, but I am going somewhere with it, because it's in the text, that Peter's shadow, he was so full of God, that when he walked by, it was literally healing these people. You say, well, I don't like that. That's fine. Let me give you the other take on it. In Middle Eastern culture, people are more superstitious over there. Maybe they know something we don't know. But a parent was very careful if there was a bad person walking around that they did not want that bad person's shadow overshadowing their child, afraid that there would be a bad influence. Now, you can take it one of two ways. (laughs) You can take it in light of what the Scriptures is implying and what's going on here because he said there's people that's being healed and there's people that have been vexed with devils. And when the shadow of Peter was falling across him as he was working other works, these people were being healed and helped by God because the power is not in Peter, but it's in God. But God wants to use every part of us. I call this the shadow ministry. It's a mighty outpouring, moving of the Holy Spirit. Here's my question this morning to you. How's your shadow ministry? Now, we don't have the power that God give the apostles. My shadow, if I walk by you and you happen to fall into my shadow, it's not going to do anything for you. But as I told the other group, you might crave a donut. You might crave some Chinese buffet. (laughs) You might crave fruit of the pig. Pork ribs and bacon and gravy and biscuits and stuff like that. That might be what my shadow does. But it's not going to do anything more for you. But he's talking about influence. Influence, how's your influence? How's your shadow ministry? God wants to use your influence for His purpose. Are we so walking with God that people like to come into contact with us? Just ask yourself that. Or do you find yourself isolating from everybody? because like, ah, this really don't fit in I don't. Know. Do people want to hang around you or not? That might have something to do with your influence. Maybe it has something to do with your spirit. Or is there so little of Christ about us that no one would think of bringing people within our influence to be blessed and help? There should be something about us. That makes people say, the more I see that person, the more I'm around that person, the more I want to know about God. How's your influence? How's your influence? When people walk away from you, do they need a nap? Because you have mentally exhausted them. Or do they feel encouraged and do they feel uplifted and energized and say, you know, I want to go another round for the Lord. And I pray to God that as a pastor that my influence, when you meet me or when you see me and we greet and you hear the preaching, not because I'm anything, I butcher the king's English and I make a mess out of things, but somehow God gets in it. But do you walk away saying, you know what? I'd like to hear a little bit more about, I want to know some more about Jesus. I want to do a little more for Jesus this year. How do people walk away from your influence, from your shadow? You see, this church was filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, and God moving in a mighty way that he was even using the shadow of Peter. So I just want want ministry. I believe it to be, it can be a low-risk ministry and a high-risk ministry, your shadow ministry. How's your shadow ministry? I just want to do ministry, preacher. Good. How's your shadow ministry? Work on that. How's your influence? Are you influencing people for Christ? Are you helping people to grow in Christ? Do they want to know more about Jesus? Or when they walk away, say, I don't want to go back to that church. Is it starting to get clear? Shadow ministry. It's important. But we see this moving of God. And now we begin to see, starting in verse 17, the moving of Satan. This is going to be Satan. He's going to attack from without. As I said earlier, this had started in chapter 4 and verse 2 where they become grieved at this preaching and the healing of the impotent man because they did it in the name of Jesus. And Peter says there, it's not my holiness and it's not my power that did this, but it's the name and power that comes with the name of Jesus That healed this man. And boy, they didn't like that. And so now this has grown into indignation. Look at this. Here in verse 17, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. That's great wrath. They were filled with wrath. They were angry. They didn't like this. This is Satan. This is Satan's children, the tares, with their religious face on. And by the way, can I just do a sidebar? I'm going to take a, just a little. I'm going to run a rabbit for a second, maybe to help somebody this morning. If you have been hurt in a church in the past, more than likely possible, you were not hurt by Christians, but hurt by a tear one of the devil's children that satan had planted to disrupt to destroy and to 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 tear down the work of god i remember years ago in a church up north you know how the men as we grow we'll begin to have just men's meetings and we get back there in the men's meeting, we have to do some church business and the same guy every time was always opposed i'm opposed it didn't matter if we wanted more toilet paper in the bathroom, he was opposed to it. People need to bring their own. If we wanted to organize visiting, he's opposed to that. Uh, if we wanted to take donuts to the widows or donuts to the shut-ins, I'm opposed to that. And he'd always said, he bragged, I'm playing the devil's advocate. I got news for you, the devil doesn't need a lawyer. He doesn't need any help. And this guy was a piece of work. But there he was opposed to everything. He's not even church today. He's he's out. What are you saying? I'm saying the devil has tears in churches. And more than likely, if you've been hurt, it was due to one of the devil's children to hurt you because God was getting ready to move in your life. And the devil knew it. And he hurt you through one of his children. Because this Bible's clear that Christians don't persecute Christians. They don't do that. The Apostle Paul, before he got saved, was a church persecutor. After he got saved, he never done that no more. A new nature, new creature in Christ. You know, he didn't have to say, well, you guys, you know. You're gonna to have to you have to bear with me. I'm I'm still God, I'm having, we call them today, fleshbacks. I'm having a fleshback. I'm having a fleshback, you know. I'm so used to dragging Christians out of the churches and beating them around and kicking them and putting them in jail. Just just forgive me, brethren and sisters, if I if I have a fleshback and do that in the middle of a message. No, the Apostle Paul never did that, you know. You know, he's gotta grow in Christ. You know, he doesn't know no better yet. No, those things changed. Now that was a little sidebar. If you've been hurt, more than likely, you need to spend a little time meditating that with the Holy Spirit of God and let the Holy Spirit, God, work that up in your heart. It was more than likely a tear. A child of Satan who was masquerading as a religious fanatic don't you doubt for a moment that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not look like the real thing. They were very religious and very zealous and very pious. They tithed of oh, all. They, they were the perfect modern-day Baptists. And they were as dead as a doornail spiritually. You know, the most problems I've had in the Christian life and in pastoring has been from religious devils I've never had a person that had been caught in sin or down in sin and got saved later in life get saved and they got some baggage but they're just thankful that God saved them they never have caused trouble in church now they might need some help from time to time but they're not trying to split churches and hurt people because they're just so thankful that God saved them they want to try to help other people It's those religious zealots that are really anti-Christian, meaning they're anti-Christ. So we see this moving of Satan, and as the verse I give you, I promise, it's in Zechariah 3, verse 1. The Bible says this, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him, so anytime the Lord stands up and the takes a standing, the Lord has one of His children or His men. the apostles stand up. The devil stands up to oppose it. The devil's not going to take it lying down. So when God works, Satan works, and they lay hands on them, according to verse 18. And this is the Sadducees. They don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in angels and they don't believe in spirit. I find that funny because God sends an angel to get the apostles out of jail and he walks them through the jail and he never opens the door. Spirit. <laughs> I didn't know if you had caught that. It's like God's rubbing it in their face. Well, I just don't believe that. I refuse to believe it. Doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe. What matters is what God has said and what God says is true. That's what matters. And so we see them, these Sadducees. They don't believe in the shadow ministry. They don't believe in influence, that you have an influence over people. Now, maybe you might have heard it like this. Well, what you see on the outside is not what's on the inside. God God knows my heart. He sees my heart. You heard that? That's the Sadducee this is where they get that it's a form of gnosticism and it was predominant in the early church with these people that come out they don't believe that there's any spirit there's no influence it's just all physical and flesh and of course then you have the other radical side of gnosticism those people believe it's all spirit (laughs) the sadducees were on the other side of this thing what you see on the outside has nothing to do with my heart. Yeah, you're right about that. Lord says on the outside you wash and looking good, but on the inside you're full of dead men bones. And so is every other Pharisee that wants to run around trying to say that, that their influence is no deal. And and, and it doesn't matter what they say or do. Uh, Their influence doesn't matter. I got news with you. This Bible disagrees with that. We all have a shadow ministry. We all have influence on others. And we're supposed to let God use our shadow ministry and our influence and our spirit and our essence to further the gospel of Christ. But that's going to come with opposition but you might have heard it like that you know god sees my heart yeah i know but the bible says as a man thinketh in his heart so is he out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh it comes out it's there and so what are they trying to do well you'll find this is tactic of the devil He incarcerates them. That's what they do. They put them in prison. And they do that to isolate them. And they do that to intimidate them. And they do that so that they can injure them. I didn't read the rest of the chapter, but what they end up doing is beating these apostles for having preached in the name of Christ. But I want to say those four things again because we've seen a lot of this going on during the COVID lockdowns. And I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I'm just trying to tell you, because I've said it from day one, there's a whole lot of the devil in that thing. Why you would leave a strip club open but close a church. Why would you leave the beer joints open but close a church? I'll tell you why. It was to incarcerate you Because they don't like the name of Jesus. And it was to isolate you. There was a lot of isolation during that time, which led to a lot of mental issues. It's a tactic of the devil. They did that to intimidate them. There's a lot of preachers and pastors in churches that were fined and still fighting legal battles over that. In America. I'm surprised the news media don't play that 24-7. Well, of course not. You ended up having to hear about it on Christian news when these pastors and churches win their court cases and they begin to testify and say, yeah, God's seen us through. You know, they had to give us all the money back that they had fined us. They were th- f- finding them $1,000 per service. They were even having outside church services adhering to what they had laid down. They're still coming in and arresting them. Why? To intimidate them. The devil does not want you to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. Any other name, you can parade around nudity, you can parade around the woke agenda, and they don't care about that, but don't have a prayer meeting in the name of Christ. So, what should be our response persecution because i believe if god tarries we're going to see some more christian church persecution what we've seen starting in 2020 till now has just been that was an experiment that was an experiment they'll get braver and bolder when something else Comes around and they got a great, a lot of power with these emergency orders. But like the judges have said, not at the expense of the Constitution of the United States. It doesn't give you power to override that. Now, how do we respond? Because this was a big topic during COVID when they were shutting churches down. And you just wouldn't believe the rhetoric that I, I would read in the comments when a, a pastor said, no, I'm going to keep the doors open. And other so-called Christians, and they weren't, by the way. And I can hear somebody thinking, but you didn't know their heart. <laughs> How do you know a dog's a dog? It doesn't talk to you, does it? <laughs> uh-uh. Oh, looks like a dog, acts like a dog. Yeah, that's right. Barks like a dog, don't it? Yeah. Been on this dog thing today. Well, I'm going to tell you, the response to persecution and where I was going with that was this rhetoric. Well, you need to obey all the laws of the land. And how dare you keep your church open? That's anti-Christ. It's anti-church. Bible doesn't ever say that. And by the way, those weren't laws. You see how our constitutional republic, and I didn't mean, that's not in the notes. If somebody wants to comment, it's not there. So you're going to be, you're going to like, where in the world did that come from? I, I don't know. I'm just minding the Holy Spirit of God. Because we're on persecution. And so we, uh, we need to obey God rather than man. That's the answer. By the way, our constitutional republic works that laws are brought into by a Congress voting them in after debate. And then either the governor, if you're dealing with a state, signs it or a president signs it. See, they bypassed all that emergency orders. Now, I'm not off into that. I rarely say anything about it. But I'm, what I'm saying is that we could see persecution coming in america we're spoiled as christians okay we're spoiled we're allowed to have our own church building here in this day they didn't have their own building we have our own building if someone comes in and starts hollering and screaming right now that they hate what i'm saying and they don't agree with it we got security that's setting throughout the building That will escort them out because the laws of the land say you can't disrupt a religious service. If you disagree, start your own church. Rent your own building somewhere else. Wasn't that way in this day. I believe there's going to be some persecution come to America. So you say, well, how do we answer that? Well, how Peter answered it, that's why it's here. And Peter looks right at him and says, we ought to obey God rather than man. Say, oh, so we don't have to obey the government? That's not what I'm saying, and I'm not preaching on that this morning. That message I've already preached, and it was out of Romans chapter thirteen. And he clearly tells you that the laws of man are to be in subjection to the laws of God, and that's why America is so unique because they started on the premise that there was unalienable rights given to man from God, and that no government, uh, no government entity or power could override God's. Natural law. Now, I know they're not teaching you that in school. But that's the truth of the matter. And So God says that they were supposed to be a force for good. But when they override God's law and God's command, as in telling others about Christ and having church, you obey God rather than men. And don't go out here and say, oh, my well, preacher said I could run red lights and not pay my tickets and do this. No, that's that, that's no, that's not what we're... Don't, don't, don't do that. Because that's not what this preacher's saying. We're talking about telling others about Christ. That's our context in having some church. So we obey God rather than men. We take the punishment, verse 40... You take the punishment. Count the cost. You're going to take the punishment. Peter doesn't resist, does he? They don't fight back. Those twelve apostles don't pick up swords and say, Well, oh, he dare you to take us. <laughs> they didn't do that. They took the punishment. And if persecution comes, we might have to make that decision. We'll have to take the punishment. That's what other churches did in America, like Lancaster Baptist and other churches said, we'll, we'll take the punishment and we'll put the money aside and we'll try to fight this through the legal channels. But if we lose, we got to pay the bill. We got to pay the fine. So you take the punishment. But you rejoice. Verse, look with me here in Verse 40. Verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. This is after they'd taken a beating, and I'm about done. They took a beating, and they they rejoiced about it. You know, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not always, there's a reason it's spelled with just a Y and not an S on there. Always, I don't care what Noah Webster says you do understand he wasn't a Bible believer. I got it. I got, I got the dictionary, but they like to change these things. There's a reason the Bible says all way. You say, ooh, yeah. See, all way means the whole journey. No matter what happens, no matter what goes down, you're going to rejoice all way. Whereas always, well, there might be just seasons and times that you rejoice and times you would not. But always is Old English for the whole journey. So they rejoice and they thank God that He chose them to represent Him in this trial. They were counted, he says there, that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame. For Christ. And then what they do, preacher, verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. You keep preaching Jesus. That's how you respond to persecution. You don't pick up arms, <laughs> you take the penalty. And you keep preaching Jesus, and you rejoice always. And you thank God that He counted you worthy to represent Him in that trial. I read you last week, the week before, about Peter and how he died, and how that he seen a vision of Christ coming into the city. And he asked the Lord, what are you here for? The Lord said, I come to be crucified again. Now, Peter knew that the Lord wasn't going to die the second time. And so Peter said, I knew immediately what he meant. That I was going to die by crucifixion. He didn't run. He didn't go by a sword. He went back into the city and counted it all joy. And he he was unworthy, he says in his testimony, to be crucified right side up. So he requested that they crucify him. Upside down. I pray to God when that moment comes, if it does, and I pray God spare us. I don't know how tough I am that we would count it worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Christ. When God moves, Satan's going to move. What God is for, Satan is against. Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it get you down. And don't let it get you out of the ministry. There was a verse there. The Apostle Paul said that he, none of those things would move him. And he gives a whole list of the persecutions and things that he had suffered in the ministry. And he said, let none of those things move us from the course that God has given to us to do for him. Let's all stand this morning.